Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Political Bark. Today we're going to explore how the African response is to the corona crisis, both from a national and a supranational perspective. We'll be looking at the particular strengths and the particular challenges ahead of them. This episode is in fact part of the sequence of episodes. This is episode one of two, where we focus on Africa and responses to the pandemic. In today's episode, we have Madame Lamia Hadi. She's the ambassador to the Kingdom of Morocco in Norway, and she will speak about national responses in Morocco, as well as touch upon supranational perspectives on the handling of the pandemic. At the date of this recording, the corona crisis has not first and foremost become a health crisis in Africa. Rather, the economic and social ramifications of the virus are being felt. The chairperson of the African Union, His Eminency Musi Faki Mahamad, explained in late February that This epidemic is a human tra- tragedy and is already paralyzing economic activities. We are feeling the effects already because China, one of Africa's economic partners, is affected. If we do not take urgent action, the socioeconomic effects will be huge in the, on Africa, but also on the rest of the world. Now, the number of reported cases are how, is, however, increasing, and the African continent is bracing itself for what could become a catastrophic health, economic, and social crisis. So what options for responding to the pandemic does, do the many African countries have? If we look at the responses around the world... We can classify the pandemic policies into four main groups. All of the responses, however, have two main goals. The first is to contain the virus and minimize the toll on human lives. The second one is to maintain people's livelihood until the crisis is passed. So we're going to look at the the four main categories now. The first we can call uncontrolled spread. Here, a government chooses to let the pandemic spread unchecked in order to rapidly create immunity in the population. The drawback of this strategy is that it leads to much higher death toll. It'll overwhelm the healthcare system and cause major economic downturn in the short to medium term as supply chains are interrupted. So, so we- this this type of uh, uncontrolled spread is this what we see in our neighboring country in Sweden? It's Sweden is probably the country that has chosen this to the largest extent. They might not say themselves that it's actively choosing to contaminate its population, but it's the country that most fervently wants to have this population immunity mm-hmm. being built. So to let it uh, spread uh, sort of unchecked. Yes. Okay. So the second approach is the lockdown without income replacement category. And in this version, people are put into a variation of quarantine, self-isolation, or at least um, the social distancing that we see trending in all kinds of ads, where people limit uh, all non-essential activities in order to contain the spread of the virus. In addition, many countries have enacted uh, entry and exit bans, so you're not allowed to leave Norway at this current moment in time. Mm-hmm. However, people under this policy approach are not compensated for the economic loss. For being economically inactive, you're being stuck at home. Yeah. The advantage of this strategy is that it staggers the spread of of the virus 
whilst not being economically expensive for the state. Mm. However, the economic burden is instead placed on the individual. You're the one who's not getting now your salary. So isn't this what we see in the U.S.? Largely, yes. Um, the U.S. Is, has decided to pay out a one-time check of $1,200, uh, but that's it, right? And that's barely going to cover rent in a lot of places in the States. And mm. It's not going to cover your food supplies. It's definitely not going to cover gas. So you're being told to stay at home. You're getting a little bit of a Band-Aid on yeah. top of it, but essentially you're not being economically compensated. Yeah, quite dramatic and anxiety-ridden, actually, yeah. Yeah, kind of solution. I, uh, <laughs> uh, and the, the third alternative is a hybrid where you still have the lockdown, but you have income replacement. So you still have the aim of styring the virus. However, you're giving people economic means to sustain themselves throughout the crises. Like Scandinavia. Like Denmark. Like, like Denmark Norway. and Norway. Right. Mm. So and here we're seeing lots of variations of how to do this, whether you're giving money to the employer to compensate for the salaries that are not being technically uh, earned, mm -hmm. or if you're giving cash pay directly to the employees. Here, there, there are many variations, but the clear drawback of this policy is that it's really, really expensive. Mm. And it's just not going to be available for countries that aren't as well off. Mm, mm. Especially, uh, I think in Europe, we would see the Western Europe do this, uh, but not really Eastern Europe. Possibly. Yeah. Uh, then the fourth category is um, has been called, you know, the, the testing and containment policy. Here you have enormous amounts of people being tested in order to identify contaminated individuals, contain them, and thereby spreading um, no, limiting the spread. This is a more proactive approach. And it allows for healthy people to continue living their lives as usual. And you're avoiding that economic halt that we're seeing in large parts of Europe. Mm -hmm. So this is what's uh, been chosen by Taiwan, Singapore. And it's been largely successful so far. They're coming in some new numbers now, but essentially... Um, this is a policy that relies on really capable public health systems and the ability to test hundreds of thousands of people. So it's it's really resource demanding, but mm. it's, it seems to be working. So we've now looked at the general framework to review the policy alternatives. Sophie, can you tell us a little bit more about the specificities that are pertinent to the African continent? So looking at some of the challenges on the continent, we can see that there's a limited access to healthcare facilities. The capacity to handle thousands of sick patients is limited in most areas. And the problem is especially difficult in war and conflict areas where there is an underinvestment and where healthcare facilities have completely shut down. According to the International Committee for the Red Cross, nearly 20% of healthcare facilities across Mali have been partially or completely destroyed. 93% of facilities in the north are destroyed, and those that remain are overwhelmed with injuries from conflict and general health needs of internally displaced people. Another problem in the backdrop of this is the existing diseases such as the cholera, the malaria, and AIDS, and in some areas also the Ebola. You will in addition also have particularly vulnerable groups such as in the refugee cramps which are overcrowded, where social distancing is not possible, where access to food is limited, and there's also a limited access to clean water. This will, in, in its turn, increase the spread. 
We can also see similar issues in prisons. According to the International Committee for the Red Cross, the head of protection for Africa, Rubani Ibachi Witanene, says that in prisons that are overcrowded, physical distancing is not possible, and one case of COVID-19 inside the detention facility's walls will be catastrophic. African continent can, however, draw on its experience from previous pandemics, like we saw with the Ebola crisis. In the aftermath of the West African Ebola crisis, the World Bank leveraged more than $600 million to launch the Regional Disease Surveillance System Enhancement Project to strengthen health systems and support effective disease surveillance in 16 West and Central African countries. So we saw an investment in infrastructure that is going to be there today. Mm, that exists already, actually. Exactly. And there were some key takeaways from the Ebola virus management. One of them, and one of them is that we really saw the importance of protecting the health workers. Mm-hmm. In many of these countries, you already have a lack of health workers, and they were being put under particular pressure, both from being contaminated during the Ebola virus crisis, but you also saw them being targets of mistrust, both in terms of violence and social exclusion during the handling of the Ebola crisis. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing now with the coronavirus that there is a particular focus on how we're we going to protect the healthcare workers that we have. Mm. So that's key. Another aspect that's being considered is how to use people's local experience with the Ebola as a transference here. So you're looking at communities that with the Ebola virus had to undergo containment. They had to, for example, accept different burial rituals. How do we take care of grandma? Mm. You're meeting communities that already have had a pandemic mm. in recent memory. And also many communities are used to them doing their own part in, in reducing contam- contamination because obviously the African Union and the heads of state will come with their advice or their directives. This is how we have to proceed for to contain the Ebola, let's say, or the pandemic. But it, in the end, it it's on the villages and on the towns to themselves isolate also and to find new solution, solutions within the families. And here we're going to have to acknowledge that, first of all, there's a huge specter between megacities and rural gatherings. I mean, you have huge specter of population density here. And the Ebola virus wasn't a widespread virus that makes that half of Africa now knows how to handle this, that that would be a complete exaggeration. But you definitely have some parts of, particularly the West and Central Africa, that have had governmental policies that are going to look similar. Mm. And also the fact that uh, Ebola is not spreading as fast as the COVID-19 in terms of Ebola being spread by spit. Yeah. Or fluids, yeah, and the uh, COVID nineteen is in the air. So I think one issue that might exist also is the fact that many, many uh, citizens in African countries might think that they are ready to tackle the corona the way they tackled the Ebola, right. because they conquered the Ebola, so they can conquer the corona. Not actually being aware of how fast uh, it, it could create a false sense of safety. If we yeah. do the same procedure as last year, might not actually lead to such good results. Um, but however, what were um, one of the key takeaways from the Ebola virus management was also the use of small community care centers, 
where you saw the use of local staff in and much closer units uh, to to be it villages uh, cities that um, had not wanted to approach larger medical uh, facilities they were there was a huge amount of mistrust as you <laughs> there was an anecdote being said that people only saw that everyone who went into these buildings huge medical facilities never came out again so you essentially had a huge amount of mistrust towards the governmental ploys that were being used so as a counter reaction to that you had the development of these community care centers to normalize the treatment within the framework of general medical assistance and you saw the use of um, both the local community and faith leaders as part of the key actors to, to again, normalize treatments. And um, again, as I mentioned earlier, there, there was a certain amount of mistrust to the local health worker. Uh, and to use a familiar face made treatment more accessible. So it'll be interesting to see if that same measurement of unit is going to be applied again. Mm -hmm. uh, another aspect that was a good takeaway from the Ebola uh, virus management was the two-way communication approach that you had to have like, tel telephone hotlines so people could call in and ask questions, mm. but they could also register feedback. Mm. What is going on there? What are the questions that people have? Is mm. it about water? Is it about soap? Is it about grandma? Is it mm. about uh, animal contamination? So that the government could actually respond. Mm. And that two-way communication was also key in management fears and what we have today with internet yeah. is fake news. There was a, recently a video being spread in South Africa about how some testing equipment had been contaminated, and that was fake. Yeah. Uh, so, so Do you know if they have any laws on... Uh, I know that, uh, for example, one North African country, Egypt, they have laws against fake news, prison, or uh, fines. Do you know if they have any in Sub-Sahara... I'm I'm not familiar with local uh, legislation there. I know that in Egypt they also have this sort of hotline where you can call in and ask any questions you have, and that it actually works really efficiently. Uh, the government has put in stall a way that the the local population can ask anything they need and uh, get an uh, answer almost immediately. Yeah, and. They, so they are in many ways, uh, the government is really taking a, a big responsibility in trying to tackle this and also showing mm. the population that what they are doing. And, and I think that with a virus that's, that's much more contagious than the Ebola virus, misinformation and fear is going to be ever more present. Um, and that leads me to the one of the last takeaways from the Ebola virus um, management was how to deal with a case management. So not only did we see the medical care being put under severe pressures when it came to the actual Ebola virus, but we saw the spillover effect that it caused on other diseases, like you mentioned earlier. And so to also have that perspective of how we're going to handle health system as a whole. And mm. I think that's going to be a key challenge for many African countries that mm. don't have enough buffer in their system to handle regular health needs. I mean, if, if we look at Norway, how many respirators do we have in total? We have, I think, not even a thousand. This is one of the world's richest countries. Uh, how, are we going, how are African countries going to get a hold of the respirators? They're expensive, they're hard to produce. And, and one of the points that's going to be interesting to follow is the increase or decrease on maternity uh, maternity death 
on uh, child mortality, on diseases that aren't actually connected to the uh, coronavirus, but how is this going to affect the healthcare system as a whole? We are here today on the phone with the um, the ambassador of the Kingdom of Morocco, Madame Lamia Radi, and Pauline, of course, the co-host. Today we're going Hello? to start about... Hi, Lamia. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to talk about Morocco and uh, its responses as a nation to the pandemic. And we'll talk about its position also in the international community and its uh, relations to uh, other countries. Uh, so, uh, Madame uh, Lamia Radi, could you please tell us a bit about the status in Morocco right now? How many contaminated? How many deaths? Uh, the borders? What is the situation? Well, uh, in, uh, in Morocco, we have uh, 1,361 uh, uh, contaminated persons. And uh, today we, uh, uh, we are sorry to uh, declare 113 uh, deaths. Uh, uh, in uh, in Morocco, uh, we uh, in Morocco we closed uh, our border, uh, uh, territorial and uh, in the air on uh, March the fifteenth, mm -hmm. and the population has been uh, 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 confined since March twentieth. Okay, so there's a. Almost yeah. a, a total lockdown of the population. Total lockdown of the country since March 20th. Since March 20th. So that's very impressive. Yeah. It's I think it's one of the first countries to have been on lockdown for, for the longest yeah. period, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, But, you know, it's, uh, it's, we can explain it because uh, from the beginning, uh, Morocco, uh, and we understood in Morocco that this uh, pandemic will bring many people in hospitals mm -hmm. and as, and especially in the re reanimation reanimation services mm -hmm. and since it's the it's the weak uh, place in every uh, hospital all over the world we had to avoid to have to bring people in those uh, uh, re uh, reanimation places yeah. so the, the the attitude should should be proactive Mm, mm. To avoid contamination as much as possible. Mm, and that's why you have this, such uh, strong uh, uh, policies right now with full uh, full lockdown, uh, similar yeah. to the one in France where they uh, they have a full lockdown and you need a paper to from the government to go to the shops, to the pharmacy. Exactly. But and that's you need it. to justify why you are going out. Okay, you need to justify to the police uh, yeah, if the you're police in the streets. And the army. Also. And the army, okay. Yeah. So what governmental policies has the Moroccan uh, government enacted, both in terms of health and that we were just discussing freedom of movement, any economic schemes? Yes, of course, it has a, a huge uh, a huge economic uh, impact. But at the same time, uh, the, the Moroccan government decided to uh, uh, actually, it was a decision of the king of Morocco to create a special fund mm -hmm. that all the, the Moroccan companies and administration will finance and all, all the citizens can finance and give money to this special fund. And the money that now is over $3 billion there is to be redistributed to, the, to pay the salaries 
of the, oh, of yeah. the people that are unemployed. And uh, it's also very important because it, it, which we are trying now to reach the people that are working in the informal market, you know, like black market, not right. declared people. And those people are the weakest one because they have no, no, no savings. So since they have to be locked down like the others, they have no way to survive. So the government is trying to, mm. to identify them. They were asked to, to, get, to be identified so that money will is given to them. And we begin giving them money on April 8th. Wow. That's very direct right? income replacement. That sounds yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. it's a, a government-led uh, policy. Yeah. That's those uh, who are declared, there is a social care in Morocco. So for those who are declared, they are put, put now like uh, uh, unemployed people and they can get money, you know, just by the company declared that uh, they are unemployed, chômage, and they get, you know, money from this normal system. Oh, wow. For those people that are un unemployed, Mm. Uh, or they were unemployed, or they are uh, uh, they were working, let's say, in the black uh, market. We are installing now a system to uh, try to identify the, most of them, asking them to get identified, to identify themselves, so that they can get money. They can get money for them and for their family. It's and also, I have to mention something very important: is that we we are now facing in Morocco a huge mobilization of the civil society. Oh, yeah. The civil society got mobilized very much and many, many, many uh, NGOs are gathering and collecting money and uh, distributing food in many very uh, areas, you know, very poor areas. And with the help of the, the police that is giving them the authorization, they transport and distribute food all over the country, especially in the... In, you know, in the like uh, poor, very poor uh, areas. Mm, so it's a collective uh, solidarity effort. Yeah, very oh. strong uh, collective solidarity, and we created also this kind of bond. It's mm -hmm. like a ticket, for example, when you go to um, to a shop, mm -hmm. a supermarket, you ask for a bond, and you give, for example, something like two hundred crowns, and they give you a paper mm -hmm. that it, it means that it's for uh, you can buy anything you want. For the value of 200 crowns, and you give it to anyone you want. Okay. Let's see. Yeah. So if you meet a beggar, or if you, if you know someone that is poor in your neighborhood, you go and you give the ticket. The ticket has no name. And with this ticket, this person can go to any shop and get the, the, and get the food for it, the amount that is written on the paper. It sounds like uh, Morocco has chosen a more extensive economic policy than the U.S. that's only given out this one-time check for $1,200. And after that, you're up, it's up to you. You're on your own. It sounds like this is a pretty extensive economic scheme that the government and civil society has put together. Well, you know, I would not uh, comment on the, the, the U.S., uh, uh, choices and policy, but you know what I think is that people from in in Africa in in those moments that we we actively can very quickly active activate mm. uh, the the network, the social solidarity, the family, the tribe solidarity, mm. and the habit. The fit the fact, for example, when you live in a neighborhood, you know the, your neighbors. Yeah. So everybody knows who, who needs and no need. If you, everybody knows if there is an old lady alone, and people go and knock at the door. They care, you know, because we feel 
when we live in the neighborhood, it's like family. It's like extended family. Mm, definitely. The, the solidarity plays a huge part yeah. right now. And yeah. um, I saw also that there is a, a national fund where everyone can send yeah. a uh, SMS to uh, 1919 and donate the equivalent yeah. of $1. Yeah, minimum of one dollar, but uh, no maximum, of course. And uh, all the biggest, uh, the biggest uh, Moroccan uh, companies, whether they are national or private companies, but also institution, um, anything, anybody could can give, and they did give, and of course, even the the the, the king gave. Everybody gave gave to to support, and mm. with this money, this money first is to buy uh, medication. You know, okay, okay. and if you buy uh, uh, health um, equipment mm, that we mm. will need, you know, mm. and so we, we it's to buy. But and then it's to it's to pay it's to use for the salary, also of the people uh, to to replace the salary that people are uh, for the people that are not working anymore. But it's also, for example, concerning us as the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. It's uh, also this money is for all the Moroccans that are abroad and blocked that could not come back you know mm. that went for tourism or any reason and are not able to come back so we pay we contacted them and we pay to to pay for them hotel and food and also this comes from this town so so they're staying where they currently are is yeah yeah they say that they are not uh, uh, on the shoulder of the state where they are the country or the population where they are and we take care of them we pay for them the hotel and the food. Mm. And they stay where they are because all the borders are closed. Mm, right. Mm, mm. A great, a great uh, national effort. Um, mm, yeah, yeah. So if we look, now we lo we looked a bit at the national. Uh, what, if, what about the supranational actors such as the African Union uh, or the UN? What type of effects uh, in policies or... Um, what role are they having? In in Morocco right now, we're on the African continent in a larger perspective. Well, uh, first uh, they give us, uh, let's say, information about what's happening uh, in the rest of the world, you know, uh, and uh, but they are not, you know, acting directly. The the, the institutions that are acting uh, and supporting us uh, directly uh, is to the IMF. We acted. We um, React, we uh, activated a mechanism in the IMF to be able to use a credit of $3 billion okay. uh, that we had in uh, the authorization. So because we need fresh and cash money to pay for all this and to, to save our economy and also to save the people and to pay for all those uh, medical uh, care. And uh, also we got uh, help from the um, European Bank of uh, Investment. We asked for help, uh, fi uh, financial help, you know, and we got also uh, uh, help of uh, 150 million from the European Union. Mm -hmm. And you know? um, okay. so it's, uh, it's mostly uh, financial financial help based on financial budget that has been, you know, it was uh, it was uh, already. Um, uh, let's say it was in the agreement that we had with those organizations that okay. we could have with emergency financial lines. Mm, mm. 
And in terms of um, the African Union, does it have a uh, sort of, I, I, I read that they have task force in each region of, of Africa. Is, for the coronavirus, yeah, well, for the a, pandemic. It's, more, uh, it's, a, it's a coordination uh, uh, force. We exchange uh, information. Mm. But uh, actually, you know, in Africa, as is in the rest of the world, this uh, crisis showed that the, the first reflex of any country is to uh, concentrate on uh, itself. Mm. And uh, it's happening not only in the African Union, but also, I think, in the European Union and many uh, places, other places uh, in the world. Because, And I think it's not that it's not that uh, strange it's not that weird i we, i think it's just normal that when you we get a crisis the duty of a state is to protect its own population first mm -hmm. you know i think only maybe uh, in the past uh, some uh, uh, regional or continental organization uh, forgot it yeah forgot this this uh, basic Uh, idea that when you are in a crisis, you care about first your family, mm. you know, which is the case like a state. Mm. And, we, and we may say that in this situation, in this crisis, maybe the the occasion for for uh, us at uh, in the international relations to reevaluate the multilateralism as we are used to, or at least as you are used in uh, the North to see it. Mm. The kind of multilateralism you've been mostly uh, uh, familiar organizing with. Mm. In, yes, in Europe is a multilateralism that functions in peacetime. Yeah. Mm. That is not that, uh, it's too, let's say, it's too uh, heavy. So it's an it's interesting... It's an interesting test right now for the the in, intergovernmental Sorry? and it's an interesting test right now for the supranational organizations. Yeah, because they are very much uh, criticized all over the world, you know, because many countries see that uh, even inside, you know, we've been looking uh, at what was happening inside the European Union the last uh, two weeks, you know, mm -hmm. and those big uh, big debates between the countries, between members. Mm, yes. The mm. Raising the question of priority, of solidarity, things that should not even be, are not even supposed to be discussed. Yeah, that's true. In this kind of, uh, in this kind of uh, organization. So for, for us, it shows only that actually there was like, uh, after the Second World War and maybe especially after the 70s and 80s with the globalization, uh, the, the idea that was now dominant in, in the North was that it was uh, the end of the state, you know, that the state should was not useful anymore because you had region on one side, on mm. the micro uh, level and on the uh, uh, big, uh, on the higher level, you had the super... Uh, super uh, organ uh, transnational uh, organization, but this uh, crisis shows you the important and fundamental role that plays a state as such in the international relations. So instead of talking about a 
global or world governance that was very trendy to mm. talk about the world governance. We can see that there is no world governance. Mm. There are relations between states. So it means instead of talking about world governance, we should talk more about cooperation. Do you think there will then be seeing a shift from these multilateral relations to more bilateral relations or any renewal of the nation state? I think it never it never disappeared. It's only that we we've been keeping saying that from in the south, but uh, nobody listened to us actually. Mm. You know, and we our our position, our doctrine was not dominant at the time. We uh, de defending the state as an important uh, actor in the international relation was seen as an authoritarian doctrine. To be defending authoritarian tools in the international relations, whereas we in the South we know the importance of a state to rule a country. In the North, the, the dominant doctrina was that the, the, the it was the end of the state and that many of its uh, uh, tools are, should be whether go to a micro local region, mm. regional at the regional level, you know, like. Uh, a commune and things like that, or go, should go to a supranational level. So between the supranational and the micronational, the, the level of the state it was not uh, useful anymore mm. for uh, many countries for, from the north. But now with the crisis, we realize that we, you know, the region inside the country, they have to coordinate themselves. And this in crisis situation should be made only by this Uh, level, the state level, that is not an intermediate level, but it's a fundamental right. level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, I'm... Uh, mm, sorry. Yeah. No, no, it's okay. No, just Please. thinking about Eastern European countries, uh, many of them have turned uh, towards Russia and China and bilateral agreements again. Many of them already had good relationships with uh, China through uh, trade. Um, in in terms of um, Morocco and Morocco's relationship with other countries or with China or Chinese health diplomacy, could you mm -hmm. comment on that? Yeah, uh, Morocco has excellent relations with China. Mm -hmm. uh, China is a long-lasting uh, partner to Morocco and for Morocco, and uh, we they are political allies, and we are also supporting them. Uh, we um, when the, we uh, the, the the crisis began in Wuhan, we had uh, many students there, mm. uh, more than uh, 200 students there. So we sent planes to pick them uh -huh. up, you know, and bring them back to Morocco. But our planes didn't go empty. We sent oh, materials, yeah. we materials to China mm. at the time to help them. Mm. Because then with the also uh, uh, doctors, and and we helped them, and and so they were going in the plane, and the students were going back in the plane, and so we we get, we helped them, and now they are helping us. Yeah, so medical aid you from know? Morocco and uh, yeah. also medical aid from from China. So there's a bilateral. We, yeah, there yeah. is a bilateral respect also. Mm. You know what we want from the South? We need. We are in a crisis. We try to help each other. Mm. You know, when we can help, we do help. Mm. You know, and they are helping us. Do you think that 
people, anyone in Africa, any government or any just citizen of Africa will refuse masks because they come from China. Mm-hmm. We don't have the we don't have the 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 same uh, uh, let's say um, choice. Uh, no, we don't have those stereotypes that Europe has about China. Oh yeah, we have mm-hmm. that against China. Mm-hmm. Before China is an actor of the international relations as any other one. And it's a it's a power for us. It's a very important country mm. uh, with which we have a lot of uh, we develop a lot of uh, economical and political uh, relation exactly as many other countries. Mm. Uh, but we don't have some stereotypes, you know. We when we read in Europe that people that some countries are saying that uh, all those uh, things happening with China, blah blah blah, but. We, they are helping us. Why should we not accept this from an ally? Mm-hmm. It's good. It's China that should not help us. It may be the others that should help us more. If they cannot, okay, it's their problem. Could you say, uh, so what is the, the European stereotype on China the, from your experience? The, the, the vision is that for us, from the South, is that, you know, it's just um, a, vir- a rivalry. Okay. For leadership, mm. you know what uh, what some people, journalists, or having are, are writing in some papers that criticizing those, uh, uh, what uh, China is uh, is doing is only because they cannot do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a very <laughs> very interesting. What what would if, if they could have done it? They would have done it also, mm. but they can't because they don't have this industrial capacity. Mm-hmm. But talking actually about industrial capacity, I have to say that we produce our own masks now. Yes, I I read you've produced 2.5 million masks and sold at very low price. We sell them them 0.8 knock. 0.8 knock, yeah, that's (laughs) (laughs) extremely good price (laughs) right now, Yeah. 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 And uh, we also now, in the beginning of next week, we will produce uh, our uh, respirators, local respirators. You will produce in your own market. respirators? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Of course, we, we, we import what we can import, you know. And, you know, from China, some is uh, offered and some is paid, you know. It's business. Mm, mm. You know, it's a, it's a globalization. But that's very interesting. We need to buy, we need some materials. We have to buy them. We buy them to the one who can sell it. Mm. And that's it. We have no uh, psychological stereotype about it. And and in terms of the respirators, they are yeah. produced by young um, uh, tech startups or they are produced by young yeah. uh, scientists? Young uh, engineers. Young engineers. engineers. In Morocco, you know, as I told you, that there is this uh, civil society that rose, you know, in Morocco. And then mm. immediately, uh, you know, some uh, students, engineers, students, begin to imagine something and try to, to, to imagine. And now they are, get, uh, and then they, they imagine something uh, and then they, they, they call the, the ministry and the ministry put them in contact with the, with the entrepreneur. Mm. And they, they, they met and they discussed uh, through the social uh, network mm-hmm. and they uh, decided to adjust the machine. And many people just built the machine at, uh, uh, in, in their own uh, small uh, uh, company. And we are ready to take the risk, you know, maybe... There are, it's a crisis situation. We cannot 
go through the normal uh, process. Mm, of course, you have to. We have to think quickly and react quickly yeah. and uh, produce. And we take whatever is possible to to take. Mm, mm. Whatever so, is possible to take, we take, and they did it. And now some of them are in contact with their uh, colleagues that they have uh, in the rest of Africa, because we know in Morocco we have seven thousand uh, African students every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, when they went back, they kept in contact, and now they got in touch with them, especially now in Senegal, and they are discussing to transmit them the 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 receipt. Uh huh. The, the the recipe for the for the respirators. Yeah, the recipe, the recipe to to build it, and the recipe to make mark, and the recipe. You know, there is this kind. This is solidarity mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. the Definitely. Um, social, individual, and state level. Mm. You know, it's no time now to to talk about process authorization, blah 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 blah. It's time for solidarity. Yeah, and who's helping now will help, and we will remember. Yeah, of course, we will of remember course. who helped us. And how many how many days or weeks uh, is it until the respirators will be uh, ready to 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 be tested? Well, it will be produced uh, ne- next week. It's already tested. Okay. It will be produced. That's amazing. That's amazing. It we, will be I think, uh... to be delivered and given to the hospital next week uh, in Morocco, and uh, of course, it it is uh, it is sold to the hospital, but only for the price of the material. Okay, that's really. We make really... no benefit on it. You know. That... It's, it's a it's a global mobilization, you know, and we transmit the the recipe to all other countries, you know, in Africa, mm-hmm. to, because it's a simple system, and we share the information. If I'm hearing you correctly, you've been able to mobilize both civil society at large, engineers, companies, yeah. and the state. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you've also been able to enact already um, agreed upon agreements with the IMF, with the European Bank for financial yeah. backing. Yeah. So you've been able to yeah. act really quickly. Are there any challenges uh, that are particular either to Morocco or the African Union in this response as well? Well, you know, the challenges that we are facing is the spread of the pandemia. Because we don't have in Africa the capacity to uh, deal with a massive pandemia. You know, that's why we try to build now and to construct and to produce respirators and masks, because if there is a a huge pandemia, we know that our health system in Africa is weak, you know? So we have to avoid at all costs the the spread of the, the pandemia. And that's why we have to respect the 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 lockdown. Yeah. People have to stay at home to avoid being contaminated. Because when you're contaminated, the problem is not to be cured. Is is when you if you go to it's when it's it's the problem is to be uh, if you have an, uh, an extreme uh, form of the disease. There's the problem uh, regarding you know reanimation. Right. So you know, you, you're, our you have to be aggressive in the proactive measures because yeah, the curative yeah, yeah. end of that's, it is going to be very difficult. Exactly. And that's why also we decided to to use our doctor decided uh, and the Ministry of Health in Morocco decided that we will use chloroquine. Mm. This medication 
Uh, while, of course, in your country, it's a big debate to see yes or no, yes or no. No, no, we use it because we can't, we, we take the risk. Mm. And also, we take the risk and we don't think that the risk is that big anyway because we know this medication very, very well in Africa because it's very much used to for uh, paludism and many... Malaria. Uh, the, yeah. Yeah, malaria in uh, in um, in uh, in Africa. So we know this uh, medication, and uh, and we use it now, and it works. You know, so far. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I think the, the difference between the south and the north mm. is the capacity of uh, maybe of looking at the at the present. You yeah. Know, I think we are more maybe because of our more difficult uh, history mm. we are more used to to crisis you are reactive so, you are reactive yes, we are more reactive and we know that we have to be proactive yeah that we have to anticipate mm. Mm. Uh, even though i uh, have to say that many other may, maybe some other african countries were not as uh, proactive as uh, we 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 are but still we are used to pandemias, we are used to crisis, we are used to difficulties. Uh, maybe in some uh, very developed country, there is a very strict and rigid, uh, there are uh, very uh, strict and rigid processes, mm. you know. But mm. we understand that huh? it's legitimate, it's not, well, it's not legitimate, it is legitimate. But in crisis situation, it's very hard for you to decide to, to stop following those processes. So it takes more time for you. Mm, definitely, so it, it, it takes takes more time for us to uh, find out how to start to mobilize, and then to mobilize, and then to decide uh, on which way to do it. So it's every the process is much slower in general. Uh, Sorry, to take initiative. Sorry, to what? We to take initiative. To take initiative. Mm. We have we have a strong uh, state, but we don't have a welfare state. Mm, mm. You know, so as we don't have a welfare state, the population is not, uh, we can't afford it. So the population is used to be um, uh, active on that. Yeah. To, to make yeah. decisions regarding its, its own situation and to do things. That's why, you know, the civil society immediately moved, you know, and the state also moved. And the, okay, but everybody moved at the same time because we knew. and. Uh, people try to de to decide what to do, what they could do. To some give money, some other invent a system, some others are solidaire. You know, it depends. Mm. Mm. Well, thank you very much, Madame Lamia Hadi. We have we've. Had very interesting perspectives from Morocco, and uh, hope that the the listeners will take some of this good advice also about how to think uh, think on the day and think today, how to change uh, the situation, be more proactive. Yeah. I guess that's one of the biggest uh, learning points we have. And the key I take is maybe solidarity here, and solidarity and definitely. In the community. Thank you and good luck. Good luck. Thank, Thank you. you very much. So thank you to uh, Madame Lamia Radi for a very interesting uh, talk about Moroccan responses to the COVID-19. We uh, touched upon a, a range of topics and uh, I hope that the listeners have enjoyed the variety of the podcast today. As mentioned previously, 
this episode was a part of a sequence of two episodes and the next episode will be on Africa 2020. It will air in a couple of days and we have a special guest joining us from Tunisia. She is a pan-African activist, a uh, youth um, activist from the Middle East. She is working for the African Union and she has a very special message to bring. We can't hear, can't wait to hear from her and hope you will tune in also in some days. <laughs>